It's good to see you again. When I was here before, we were waiting. And it's good to come and see. He's here. That's great. That's great. Uh, it's also good to celebrate Father's Day. Uh, a little while ago, I read that there are some things you will never hear a father say. You will never hear a father say, well, it looks like I'm lost. <laughs> I, I guess we'll have to stop and ask directions. <laughs> you will never hear a father say, what do you want to get a job for? I have plenty of money for you to spend. <laughs> Here are some other things you'll never hear a father say. Your mother and I are going away for the weekend. Would you like to throw a party? <laughs> Can you turn up that music? <laughs> Here, you take the remote. <laughs> Years ago when I was younger, I tried to preach on this passage that we just read. I couldn't do it. I discovered I didn't understand God. I didn't understand Jacob. I didn't understand myself. I was 25. I was in my seminary studies. Nell and I were doing a summer internship up at Palo Alto, Peninsula Bible Church. Ray Stedman was the pastor. There were three of us interns up there that summer. Each one of us had been, had been assigned to a different area of the youth ministry, junior high, high school, college. I was high school. And during the summer, each one of us taught and worked in our particular youth area. But in addition to our work in the youth ministry, each one of us was going to get a chance one Sunday during that summer to preach in big church, the main Sunday morning worship service. And once I found out what my Sunday was going to be, I started to work on the sermon that I thought I would preach for that Sunday. And I chose this passage. I worked for about a week and a half on it. And I got so frustrated and confused. After a week and a half of working on it, I had nothing but questions. Nothing but questions. Some man leaps out of the darkness and starts wrestling with Jacob. Who is this man? Where did he come from? Why is he wrestling with Jacob? And after a period, after hours, hours, where the man apparently is trying to, and Jacob is fighting him off. After hours, Jacob figures out this is not a man. And then the man zaps Jacob. <laughs> that seems like dirty pool. I mean, Jacob doesn't have a zapper. And then the man, God, says, Jacob, you've won. You've overcome. Jacob didn't win. He got a busted hip. He's going to be lame for the rest of his life. And then 
God asked Jacob, what's your name? Who do you think you've been wrestling with all night long? <laughs> and then later when Jacob very politely asks God, what is your name? He won't tell him. Nothing but questions. After a week and a half of working on it, I gave up. I don't remember what I eventually preached, but whatever it was, they never got the wonderful sermon out of this passage that I was planning. <laughs> As the years have gone on, my years, and I've come back again to this passage, I think, I think I understand God better. I know I understand myself better. And I think I understand Jacob better too. What's happening in this passage? What's the point? What does God want us to focus on? What does he want us to see so that we will understand how he works the same way in our life? What's going on here? The point is, this is the defining moment when God breaks us and we are forever blessed. This is the defining moment when we come face to face with the issue, is it going to be God or is it going to be me? This is the defining moment where God says, let's settle the issue. This is the defining moment in our marriage. When we face the issue, are we going to act the way God wants us to act or are we going to act the way we want to act? This is the defining moment. This is the defining moment in our work, in our company, in our career. Are we going to do things God's way or are we going to do things our way? This is the defining moment with our children. Are we going to want what God wants for them or are we going to want what we want for them? This is the defining moment where we settle the issue and we are forever blessed. It takes us a while, we resist, we struggle, we fight, we... we, we <laughs> until finally God <laughs> and says, that's enough. That's enough. This defining moment comes out of nowhere. You don't expect it. All of a sudden, it's just upon you. Jacob wasn't expecting it. Jacob was preoccupied with what was going to happen the next day. All of his thoughts were focused on how can he manage to get past the problems of the next day. The next day he is going to cross a river back into a land that he has not been in for 20 years. 20 years earlier he had left that land. He had fled. And now he's going to cross back into that land and he has heard that his brother Esau is coming up on the border from the other side of that river. And Jacob is worried that when he crosses, his brother will massacre him. 
His brother will wipe out his family, kill all of his servants, and take all of his possessions. Now, why is Jacob worried about that? Because 20 years ago, the reason he had left the land was because he had tricked that brother Esau out of the family blessing. 20 years earlier, he had deceived their blind father Isaac into giving him the family blessing, the birthright, the position of the leader within the family clan. He had taken it away from Esau and gotten his father to give it to him. And his brother Esau, 20 years earlier when he had learned that, he had vowed, I will kill Jacob. I will kill him. Jacob had fled the land. He left penniless. He left in a hurry. He left for some distant country that was hundreds of miles away where he was told they had some relatives. If he could find those relatives, he could stay with them. After traveling for months and hundreds of miles, he did find the relatives. He did settle in with them. And over the 20 years, he married, he had children, and he actually became quite wealthy. It took some deceitful maneuvering with the relatives. It took some sharp business practices. It took some good old hard work. But over the 20 years, he had become a wealthy person. He had vast herds of goats and sheep and camels and bulls and donkeys. And all of these things were now coming with him up to the river border. During the 20 years, by the end of it, his finagling, his maneuvering, his deceitful practices among the relatives had turned them against him too. And so now he had to get out of that country. And he decided he might as well risk going back into his own country. He had sent some messengers of his across the border because he had heard that Esau was coming to meet him. He said to the messenger, see if you can get a reading on how Esau feels about me. The messengers came back and said, when we told Esau that you were coming, he didn't say anything. He just gathered 400 armed men and Esau and his army are one day behind us coming up on the border. And that's all Jacob is thinking about. How can he get past? How can he finesse? How can he get around Esau? What can he do to get by this problem that is confronting him? Well, he has a plan. Jacob always has a plan. I mean, that's Jacob, okay? And so he has a plan he thinks will work. He will divide his vast company into two groups. He will put some of his women and children in this group and he'll put some other women and children in this group. He'll divide his shepherds and cattle and everything in there, and he'll divide some of them in this group. And at a widely separated spot on the river, he will send the two groups across to different spots. If Esau encounters one group and massacres them and wipes them out, Esau will think, I took care of Jacob. And Jacob will go join the other group and he'll find some way of making it in the land. What a guy. <laughs> oh, he also thinks, maybe, 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 
maybe I can get to Esau before he finds either one of the groups and before there's any massacre. Maybe I can buy him off. And so in his conniving, shrewd, thinking, duplicitous way, he decides, I'm going to, I'm going to send. He sends 220 goats with some herders. And there are these 200 goats are going down the road, going across the river, heading toward Esau. They're bawling and scampering all over the ways. And Jacob says to his herders, if you encounter Esau, and he says, who are you? What's all this? You tell him. These belong to Jacob. He wants you to have him. He wants to make up for what he did. 220 goats. A few blocks later, 220 sheep nudging each other. <laughs> Same message. These are a gift from Jacob. A little few blocks later, this is what the earlier part of our passage tells us. There go some bulls and cows. A few blocks later, donkeys. A few blocks later, camels. Wave after wave after wave of expensive gifts to see if he can somehow appease his brother. That's all Jacob is thinking about. And that night, he sends across, after he's already sent down the animals, that night he sends his two groups of family across the river, and Jacob is by himself. And we read that out of nowhere, out of the darkness, this defining moment hits him. An assassin leaps on him and begins to choke him. Let's look at it again in the passage we read. It's Genesis 22, uh, 32. I'll give you time to find it. Genesis 32. Genesis 32. That night, Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two maidservants, his 11 children, sons, and he crossed the ford of the river. After he had sent them across the stream, then he sent over the rest of his possessions. And Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him from that early evening crossing until daybreak all of a sudden this defining moment in Jacob's life hits him without warning your defining moment your defining moment will come out of nowhere you won't expect it. It happened for me. Ten years after that uh, egotistical summer up at Palo Alto, ten years later, I was a young pastor in Scottsdale, Arizona. I was pastoring Scottsdale Bible Church when I, when I first got there. The attendance kind of went up. There was a spurt of growth. But pretty soon, it leveled off. And it started to go down. 
This is not good. This should not be. I had grown up in a church of several thousand. I wanted to pastor a big church. We weren't getting bigger, we were getting smaller. In seminary, I had, I had won the award. They called it the, person, the, the student who best represents the ideals of Dallas Seminary. That was a nice way of saying the one who is most likely to succeed. <laughs> this was not success. This was failing. I hoped someday that I would be a professor at the seminary, but nobody wants a professor who couldn't do it. Christian magazines don't run too many articles that start out with the title, How I Took a Church of 500 Down to 150. <laughs> this is not good. And my attention is on it. I'm preoccupied. I'm focused. What can we do? What kind of sermons can I preach? The more people will want to come. What changes can we make around here? What plans can we put? Let's give some thought to this. But the problem got worse. All of a sudden, the attendance graph is going down more steeply. And it looks like the church is dying. And I remembered Winston Churchill's growl during World War II. I have not been called to preside over the disillusionment of the British Empire. I began to wonder whether God had called me to preside over the disillusionment of Scottsdale Bible Church. And I was face to face with a defining moment. Would I survive or not? Your defining moment may come out of nowhere. It could be a defining moment in the marriage. It may start off with a nagging problem in the marriage. Some silly argument that keeps going on for day after day after day. An argument about work schedules, in-laws, finances. It could be that the defining moment comes at your work, your company, your job. Some awareness that things are not working well. Clients are not reordering. Employees are leaving to go work for competitors. Could be that the defining moment comes with, with the children. They're having problems. Behavioral problems. Sassing teachers. Fighting at recess. Academic problems. Poor grades. No interest in schoolwork. Social problems. And you become focused on it. 
Your mind is on it, not on anything else. What can I do? How can we solve this? What if I, what if I do nothing? And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the whole thing blows up. All of a sudden, the marriage suddenly, will it survive? Will it last? You're so angry at times, you don't want to go home. Sometimes the anger is so great, one of you goes to a motel, stays with a friend. Could be at the job. The company Red Ink is just everywhere. It looks like the downsizing is going to catch you. And finding another job in your field is going to be almost impossible. Could be with the children. All of a sudden, they're staying, one of them is staying out all night, and you don't know where. They're getting in trouble with the law. There seems to be some evidence of addictions developing. And you're saying, where did this come from? What's happening? And it takes you a while to figure out it's God. At first, it's, well, it must be this reason, it must be that reason. Out of the blue, this defining moment has hit. And it's God. It's God getting in our face. It's God leaping into our existence. It's God wrapping himself around us, grabbing us, forcing us to look at him and saying, is it going to be your way or mine? Jacob finally figured out it was God. He had always, Jacob was a strong person. Don't ever get a feeling that Jacob was a namby-pamby. You can read an account where when he first got into that far land, the way he won his wife, he lifted a stone off of a well that it took four grown shepherds to lift. <laughs> Jacob could always handle himself. Jacob was always capable. Jacob always could make it go his way. But not this time. Hour after hour after hour, he finds and defends. And finally, he realizes it's God. This man suddenly shows a strength and a power and an ability that is more than human. He just touches the hip and Jacob is busted forever. God came to that young pastor in Scottsdale and he said, Don, you always thought you were going to do really well because of your abilities. You always thought you had the skills. You always thought you could make it happen. You would preach, you would lead, and boy, would the church grow. And now you see, it's not you. It's me. Don, this is a defining moment. Is it going to be you or me? Are you going to serve my purposes or your pride? If I kill the church, Don, will you serve me? 
if I bury you and nobody ever hears of you again, will you serve me? If all your dreams and ambitions die, will you serve me? A defining moment. And when I stared at the death of all of my ambitions and dreams and desires, when I stared at the fact that I might be a corn of wheat and fall into the ground and die, and when I knew that God was asking me that question, this is a defining moment. Something in me yielded. And I said, yes, God. I will serve you. If you, I will serve you. But, 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 but God, can I at least come out of it with a little shred of self-image left? <laughs> if you kill the church, if the church dies, can I say it's because you wanted it to? Can, can, can I say, you, you called me to do it? <laughs> well, I mean, I remember in Jeremiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, you said to Jeremiah, I have called you to uproot, to tear down, and to destroy. <laughs> can I limp away with a little bit of self-respect still intact? If it dies, can I blame you? God said, yeah, yeah. Uh, Don, if it succeeds, do I get the credit? <laughs> yeah, yeah. My friend, it was a moment that God broke my pride. And I yielded to the fact that if he slayed me, I would serve him, and if he rewarded me, it would only be because of mercy. But one way or another, I was free. I had been defeated, but it was a magnificent defeat. For out of it, I was set on a path of blessing. The church continued to decline for a few months, but then it turned around and it went up. But by then it was immaterial. I was free. Magnificently defeated. But the course of my life has been blessed since then. This is what Jacob found. Eventually at a certain point, when that happened, he knew who it was. And God said to him, Jacob, you have won. You have overcome. You have been defeated, but it is a magnificent defeat because you have wrestled with God and you have prevailed. You have overcome. You have yielded. You have given up the pride and the manipulation and the finessing and the scheming. 
And God asks him, what is your name? God's not asking for information. Of course he knows his name. God is asking for a confession. God is asking for an admission. God is asking for an acknowledgement of what kind of a man have you been? Because in the biblical world, your name always described your personality. Your name always designated what kind of person you were. What is your name? My name is Jacob. Jacob in the Hebrew language means heel grabber, a grabber of heels. He had been given that name at birth because when he and his twin brother Esau were born, Esau came out of the womb first. But as Esau emerged, the people who were delivering Esau saw the hand of the next baby holding on to the heel of Esau. He wanted to pull Esau back into the womb. He was grabbing the heel because he wanted to be first. My name is Heel Grabber. Shrewd operator, manipulator, con man. That's what I have been. And God says, Your name will no longer be Jacob. You have overcome, you have yielded, you have faced the defining moment, you have asked for a blessing. Your name will be Israel. Israel means one who has prevailed with God. And as God leaves, as the morning light comes after the hours, as Jacob reflects on what has been happening, he gives a name to that place, Peniel. Peniel. Peniel means face, face of God. Because Jacob says, I have seen the face of God and I have prevailed. And as Jacob walks toward the river to join his company, as he walks toward the river, busted hip, every step he takes, he rises and falls. For the rest of his life, he's going to limp. Remembering the time when God broke him and set him on a path of blessing. Is God bringing you to a defining moment, a defining moment? Is God bringing you to a defining moment in your marriage, at work, with your children? Is it a moment when the issue needs to be settled? Is it going to be him or you? Oh, my friend, let it be him. Let it be him. It's a magnificent defeat. Oh, Lord. You are so good and gracious and merciful to us. You deal with us so wisely. You know how to draw us away from our pride and self-centeredness. You know how to draw us back to yourself. And we are so grateful. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.